This week on Excelsior Journeys, we have author, poet, editor, publisher, Tamara Selman. Tamara has been keeping herself very, very busy over the past several years and has done all that she can to not only cope with her diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, but through her own book, Intention Tremor, she is working to help others with this affliction cope as well. She has a great story to tell, and I'm so looking forward to you hearing it. So, JLD, do the honors. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here for over 90 episodes. It's been an amazing run so far. I cannot believe how far we've gone and we are not stopping anytime soon. If you are brand new to the show, if you want to share the show with any friends or loved ones, please send them over to he's got it.com slash podcasts so they can choose which platform they would like to subscribe to the show on. If you are an Apple user, I strongly suggest using the Apple podcast link and any rates, reviews, et cetera, always appreciated. The arts are an amazing thing. And they have a way to get us through some of the worst times. I know that when it, when I moved from Poughkeepsie to Richmond, Virginia, when I was a kid, a lot of writing that I was doing was getting me through those tough times, especially those first four years when I really had no idea what I was going to do with myself. And they also have a means of allowing us to cope with various illnesses and our guest this week is a master at that. Tamara Selman has a new book of poetry that is all about experiencing chronic illness firsthand to give a strong point of view and to hopefully get readers through their tough times. That is something that we definitely celebrate here on Excelsior Journeys, and I'm so glad to have her here. So it is my pleasure to introduce our guest this week, Tamara Selman. Tamara, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for being here. And uh, so before we jump into your whole history, tell us a little bit about this book. Okay, so this book is called Intention Tremor, a hybrid collection. And it is a collection of poetry and prose forms that chronicles the five years of my life following a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis in 2013. Mm, wow. Wow. Yeah, surprise. Yeah. Just what you're thinking of, you know, something you just totally don't plan for. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and it's that's quite a, you know, quite a debilitating illness as well. How have you been able to cope with it physically? You know, it's interesting. They call multiple sclerosis a snowflake disease because no two people have the same symptoms. Mm -hmm. So everyone is a little different. There is an image out there that every person with multiple sclerosis is sitting in a wheelchair and I, I'm not in a wheelchair. Most of my symptoms are 
Unfortunately, in a different way, very neurological in terms of executive function, things like speech, memory issues sometimes, that cognitive fog that everyone talks about. I mean, right now during a pandemic, there's a lot of talk about cog fog among the long haulers with COVID. So yeah. Um, I have a lot of those invisible symptoms, let's just put it that way. But probably the symptom that actually helped me identify that I even had MS was that one day I woke up, I was studying, I, I went back to school to study sleep technology, and I woke up to study for uh, finals for my first semester, mm-hmm. and I couldn't read. I mean, I could see, I d- literally drove myself to a coffee house with this giant sleep technology textbook, and I sat down, cracked it open, and I couldn't read. I could see all the letters. There was no you know, visual disturbances blocking my vision, but I just couldn't comprehend. It was like looking at the Cyrillic alphabet. I mean, and I don't speak Russian or anything, you know? So it was just like, what is this? And this is after decades of being a writer, uh, a publisher and an editor. So yeah, I, I, reading kind of matters to me. It's almost like legs matter to me. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I literally went to the doctor that afternoon. He snuck me in. And I lived in a fairly rural environment. And so they have a portable MRI machine right across the parking lot. And he sent me over. And within two days, they gave me a preliminary diagnosis of MS. And then five weeks later, I went through all the the fun tests, like the, you know, the spinal tap and so forth. And then they confirmed it about eight years ago and a couple weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. Surprise. Yeah. But that's amazing that you've been able to been able to cope with that for all this time and come up with a really great outlet to to assist others who are dealing with the same thing. For real. I mean, I'm a journalist by trade. So, of course, a lot of what I'm going to do when it comes to dealing with anything is I'm going to research and I'm going to read and I'm going to write. Those are just, as you mentioned earlier, just the whole aspect of writing things down. I kept journals. I kept symptom diaries, you know, all kinds of things. And that amounted to this huge collection of written material that ended up being the basis for this this book. So it's it's really interesting. I can't say that I, I have never looked back because in fact, that's all you do when you get diagnosed with a chronic yeah. illness is you try to figure out the when and the why and the how. And mm-hmm. I can go back and look at all kinds of points along my life where there were little suggestions, but it didn't really come together until that, that moment in 2013 when I couldn't read. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, like, I can't even imagine, you know, that sort of feeling of looking at a book and not being able to read it. You know, my, oh, my, yeah. mother, my mother was always telling me, it was just like, oh, you knew how to read since you were two. And, yeah. and I was just like, I, I just, I can't picture that. I cannot yes. fathom that. Like I it's, know it's it's very it's scary and haunting and weird. Yeah. Like your brain could like totally betray you like that. Fortunately, I was able to get my vision back pretty quickly after that, or not my vision, but my ability to comprehend words. There is a term for it. It's like alexia without agraphia is the scientific term if you want to know. But I I basically it took me a few days and. It turns out that a lot of these weird symptoms, they come after you're under a lot of stress. And here I am, I'm raising two teenagers. I'm back in school studying for finals at age 47. So come on, how much stress do you need? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Can't, can't. Oh, all that's a cakewalk. Come on. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, you're a parent, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, so many things. So, so I was able to reclaim that. It's only happened to me a couple of times since then. And I learned really that once you start getting these breakouts of symptoms, you know, they come in little packages 
You just mm -hmm. like shut the computer down and you go take a nap or you go take a walk and you just wait until it's over and then you can get back to work. And that's kind of pretty much the shape of my life over the last eight years. Wow. You know, it's just, yeah. you know, just listening to the body and then, and then writing it down just mm -hmm. for the emotional support that that provides. And just also for just trying to solve the mysteries of this weird, weird neurological illness. And quite a mystery it is, a yeah. lot a lot to unravel with that. So so let's go back to the very beginning when it comes to when it comes to the writing, your writing life. What was your what I call the lightning bolt moment? What was that moment uh -huh. in your life that made you kind of point in that direction and say, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of life I want to live. That's the yeah. person I want to be. So being being involved in writing in so many different forms like journalism and poetry now and fiction as well, correct? Oh yeah, I do it all. <laughs> yeah, fiction, nonfiction, and then you got, and then there's obviously the editing. Yeah. Where did it all start? What was your first step? <laughs> well, I think I was just kind of born that way. There's a term called the Renaissance soul. And it was a, that's a phrase from Margaret Lobenstein. She has a book about that. And mm -hmm. it's this idea that some people are just so creative that they can't help themselves. And they often even have a little bit of maybe ADHD involved with that or ADD because mm -hmm. you get bored with things. Once you start creating, then you want to go make something different and new. And that's just been my whole life. But I have this creative drive and it doesn't begin and end with writing. It's gardening, it's cooking, it's jewelry making, it's photography. But in every single case, it's about telling a story or recording a history or recollecting a memory, it always comes back to story for me. Yeah. And, and I have to say that my story as um, a writer really mm -hmm. began at age four and four. that just seems weird, but let me mm -hmm. tell you, I've been a lifelong writer as crooked a path as it has been. I can't imagine doing it any other way, but mm -hmm. only at middle age can I now look back and see where I've been and, and what has happened. And it started at age four Mm -hmm. I was one of those rare kids back in the 70s that was put into preschool. That didn't really happen a lot back then. <laughs> I yeah. was four. So I guess it was 1969, maybe 1970. And that just wasn't normal. And so I was in preschool and it was because I could, I was just ready. I was so ready. Mm. And, and so one day my teacher asked my parents to come in with me in the morning before school. And I thought I was in so much trouble. I was like, oh no, what did I do? I just felt terrible, you know? Yeah. Maybe the only case of imposter syndrome I've ever had. Really? <laughs> um, and so I sit down in, in front of the chalkboard and she gives me this brand new box of colorful chalk, which is just like so cool for a creative person like me. And she said, nice. go ahead and write, right? And she said, go ahead and write something on the chalkboard. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm in so much trouble. And so I can't remember, I think it was orange or green. <laughs> yeah. Talk, and I, I wrote a sentence. I, she said, just write whatever you want to write. And so I just wrote like a really basic sentence, a Dick and Jane kind of sentence, right? Yeah. And my parents were like, you know, they had this look on their face, like, wow, that's amazing. And I realized oh, I have something here. This is, this is cool. I got yeah. a really positive response out of this. And the thing is, I love, I loved anything that required me holding a crayon in my hand or a piece of chalk or whatever. So I love to draw and I love to write. And <clears throat> excuse me. And so I, I did that and I realized that I wasn't in trouble, that this was really special. Mm -hmm. And it just, that was the moment. I'm not sure if it, it was like a switch turning on. And it was like, okay, there was a sort of, voice in my head that said this is who you are this yeah. is who you are 
And I've always felt like we're here. You know, I can't even tell you the moment I, I realized that we're all here for a purpose, but I just realized that that in that moment, that was my purpose is to write mm-hmm. and to write maybe to make the world a better place in some way. And that, that could be anything really. There are so many w- different ways to write, to make the world a better place. So, so I continued that practice. I was kind of a, an extroverted introvert all yeah. my life. And um, so writing really suited me. I know that feeling all too oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, if I can, if I'm in a place where I am familiar and I am comfortable, then yeah, I'll be an extrovert. But if I'm somewhere yeah. new and if I find, if I feel like I am way out of my league, wherever I am, then yeah, I will, I will shrink, you know, quite a bit. Yeah. 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 Or hide in the corner. I'm I'm kind of like, you know, if in the Lord of the Rings, that Strider, the character Strider, they, yeah. we first encounter him in the corner. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I dig this guy. I understand him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm the guy yeah. in the corner. <laughs> yep. If I have to, if I, if, unless I'm among people in, in a familiar setting, often I will just kind of sh- shrink and that's okay. I don't actually think there's anything wrong with that. Cause I think that's how you become a writer is you sit in the back and you watch everything happening and you observe, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so really, I was just inspired by so many things as a kid. I mean, I was writing short stories, literally, I remember on penmanship paper, you know, the, I don't think they even use it anymore, but it's the paper where you, it has the dashed lines in the middle and you have to Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. I remember that I very had, well. <laughs> right? And I had whole journals of this penmanship paper and I wrote story, the very first short story I ever wrote was The Island of the Giant Crabs. And nice. it was inspired, right? It was inspired by one of those Jason of the Argonauts movies from way back when. And I oh, just love those movies. Yes. Yeah. And then Good I wrote Harry another. Thousand classics. Yep. <laughs> oh, yes. They're fantastic. I still mm-hmm. love to watch them. They're so cheesy and yet they're so awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember Tom Hanks saying at Ray Harryhausen, there's a cer- there was a ceremony honoring him. I over in California. And he said on the stage, he said, you know, like, you know, some people would say Citizen Kane or The Godfather. I say Jason and the Argonauts is the greatest yes. movie ever made. So Absolutely, you, have, you have good company there. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm glad to know that. That's so yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I went on to write other stories. I remember another one that got me some acclaim in elementary school was the one called Curiosity killed the cat and it was literally about a cat walking to a, a haunted house and you can only imagine what happened so oh my. <laughs> <laughs> i was all, you know i was just always morbid. writing as a kid what's that again a little morbid <laughs> yeah a little bit a little bit yeah early horror story kind of writing yeah because nice. i do a little sometimes do a little bit of that so yeah and i have to say that i i listened to your episode with dr hurt dr melissa hurt yes yeah and yeah. she had talked about imposter syndrome and it mm-hmm. made me pause. And I think that I've never had imposter syndrome because oh, you were so I've lucky. never felt like anything else but as a writer. So mm-hmm. I don't, re- there's really no other option. So she was saying something about, I'd like to know who those other 30% are who aren't experiencing imposter syndrome. So just let her know that that's, that's probably why I don't have that experience. I just feel like it's just who I am and I'm going to do it whether I get recognized for it or I get paid for it or I get published, I'm just going to always do it. Cause it's just who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, so. that's terrific. You're not, there's, there's not that, there isn't that little voice in the back of your head. That's trying to basically pull you back from yeah. letting yourself be known. And that's, that's fabulous. That is fabulous. Yeah, I mean, it, granted, granted the voice, the voice that I've been dealing with has gotten a little quieter as of late. Good. And I'm good, hoping good. that, that, you know, in time, 
probably when I pass episode 100, oh, he'll finally, yeah. he'll finally, you know, like shut the hell up. So but, good. Well, that's but, coming soon too. So that's awesome. It is. It is. I'm on, <laughs> I'm on track by, you know, stick with, uh, stick with my schedule. Then August 10th will be, will be the date of 100, 100 episodes. Well, you and, should just throw yourself a party then. <laughs> uh, the the Friday before that is my birthday. So, and, and I got, I got something big planned for oh, great. the whole month of August. So it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Oh, good for you. Good, good, yeah. good. <laughs> so, so you had these short stories, you you know, you had those cool. starting yeah. to really kind of get that experience going. Yeah. Um, and then I, I actually wrote, continue to write them. We moved a lot as a kid. So writing was kind of a, a place mm-hmm. for me to also just ex- escape from, you know, having to uproot and go somewhere else again. And actually, I think I developed my relationship with the landscape as part of my storytelling process because the landscape was always there. So oh, um, okay. I wrote lots of short stories a lot. And then it, as I became a teenager, of course, I went into the writing of poetry. I was always and continue to be a voracious reader. And I still, and I had, and I was really, again, I was super lucky in that I had several teachers who highlighted my writing along the way throughout, you know, elementary and high school by reading my work out loud or, you know, giving Mm -hmm. some kind of nod and being very encouraging. And so thank you to all the good teachers out there who recognize and support us. Because I mean, if they had not said that, I I mean, really think about that preschool teacher. If she had not encouraged me, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd be the same person, you know? Yeah. It's amazing how, you know, like how those teachers can spot something and really, really encourage you to, to keep going in that direction. You know, yes. like there were, there were four that I had four teachers that I will be forever grateful Yay. to for seeing Good. something and, and encouraging it. And yeah. one of them was my preschool teacher because oh, yeah, she, she, I, she had written or had, you know, like had been involved somehow in this little short story called the, I think it was called like the little yellow school bus or the little valley school bus, something like that. But it was all about, you know, like this little, this bus named Bess. It was like a school bus. It was a really cute little story. And she apparently thought that I had a good voice and could read well. So she had, she had given a uh, recorder and everything to my mother and father. They woke me up. You know, I still remember this very vividly. They woke me up on one one night and asked me to come out into the living room. And again, I thought I was in trouble. (laughs) And they they had me just sit down and record myself reading the story out loud. And then I wound up having to record it again, you know, later on for like the big professional style thing. Mm -hmm. But but (laughs) she saw something, you know, she and here and here here I am. You are. You're right? new episode 91. So yeah. It's, there you go. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that just really, that early moment, it, it just propels you. I mean, for me, fast forwarding to college, I pursued journalism. This mm-hmm. is in the 1980s. And at the time I thought, well, this is going to be more practical than creative writing, but we all know now what the journalism field is like. It's oh, yeah. not at all the reliable thing it mm-hmm. used to be. But I did study, I was at Columbia and I studied creative writing with John Schultz. His story workshop was really amazing. I didn't finish it out. I was going to minor in it. And I said, no, I just want to get out in the world and work. And I was just so tired of being in school. So, yeah. <laughs> but I've, I've taken, the thing about creative writing is you can take write shop, writing workshops for really the rest of your life and go to conferences. Mm-hmm. And 
So I, I just continue to do that. And then after college, I, I launched this career in editing and publishing. That was kind Excellent. of a specialty. Yeah. And I did some freelance writing and mm-hmm. I thought really that I was going to just be a journalist and then pursue my creative writing, you know, write the great American novel as I was retired. <laughs> but then uh, my kids were born and, and then I decided, well, why do I need to wait to do that then? Why don't I just do it now? So I was just reading and writing in earnest all throughout when they were tiny, tiny little kids. And I was doing a little bit of work, but not a lot. I started writing and found that I was writing things that fall into the category, surprise, surprise, magical realism. Mm-hmm. Going back to that Jason, the Argonauts, I mean, it had some interesting influences go. in my childhood. There you go. Yep. I was also a huge Ray Bradbury fan. So there you go. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. You know, I mean, the Velt is one of my favorite all-time stories. It's just oh, so spooky nice. and just like that took me to a different place. And I loved being in that space, even if it was scary. Mm-hmm. So, so what I learned that I was writing magical realism, I didn't even know that's what it was. That's just what I was doing. And mm-hmm. someone gave it a name. And because I have that Renaissance soul going on with me, <laughs> mm-hmm. I decided to launch a little literary magazine online called Margin Exploring Modern Magical Realism. It was nice. sort of this electronic L- anthology. I launched it literally three months after my second child was born, or I started working on it. And then I actually officially launched it in 2000. Wow. Um, this was before there were really blogs. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been yeah. so much easier if there had been a blog that I could just dump it into. But instead, I learned the HTML and I just built the whole site from scratch on Angel Fire and it's still there. Very impressive. Um, yeah. And because my brain really needs to just keep hacking away at something and, and raising children is not an intellectual pursuit. It's, it's creative mm-hmm. and it's all these other things, but it's not intellectual. So I still need that. And so I did this for about 10 years and then felt at some point that I had exhausted what I needed to do with that venture. And I'm very proud of it. And it's still in archives and people now in stu- students in college now like use it as a citation. So I'm really proud of that. Nice. <laughs> so I did that as a young mother, you know, sitting in her mm-hmm. house, just learning magical realism from, you know, my point of view, because I couldn't go back to school and study it myself. So I just, I did it on my own and shared it in the world. And so that was a really great experience. And then of course I did a lot of reading and writing of my own, especially creative. That, that's where I wrote a ton of fiction actually. Really? And yeah, I wrote a ton, believe it or not. And so people, what I ended up doing was becoming more of a creativity coach after that and mm-hmm. do some developmental editing, especially for people who are mothers who wanted to maintain their writing lives because there it's, a, it's really, I, I should say parents at this point, because there are working parents, you know, working mothers and working fathers, right? people who are staying at home and raising children and still have a creative life they need to tend to. It's its, a, mm-hmm. like its own separate child, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, well. absolutely. And so, well. yep. <laughs> yes, yes, I know. <laughs> and so I kind of turned in that direction and I worked, I was really proud to have worked with many really great writers who ended up finishing, getting the words on their page, publishing them and getting their work out in the world. And, and that was gratifying. But then I, I kind of lost touch with my writing life because it was so, so much to juggle working with someone else's work that at the end of the day, there was not much left for me. And so at around 2012, I began to have these like daytime fatigue symptoms. Mm. I didn't know. I just thought, man, I'm just tired because I'm a working mom, you know, and right. So, and you're, uh, you're expending all of this mental energy yeah. and everything, getting all this stuff out. Yes. Yes. And I mean, who wasn't tired? So I didn't really think anything of it. 
And I had all these other weird symptoms, but nothing ever aligned, you know, at the time. So I even went in for a sleep study and they couldn't really figure anything out, except that I had idiopathic hypersomnia, which we now know is just the fatigue that comes from MS, but yeah. that's a whole different story. So I decided maybe I needed to do some kind of work that was a little bit more active instead of being behind a screen all the time. I mean, I literally at one point, I was so tired that I was in the middle of a conference with one of my clients and I, I faith planted right into my laptop. I fell asleep right in the middle of a live thing, mm -hmm. you know? And so there, I don't think we had images in front of us in that teleconference. It was just text. Yeah. And so I, I remember waking up from that and looking down and there was this like long string of letters, you know, in the little oh, no. window where you're supposed to oh, type no. <laughs> and the writer's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think I'm okay at all. Aww. And so oh, I went in and had the sleep state after that. So, so I was, I was that tired. Yeah. <laughs> so I needed, I needed to do something different. And so that all kind of inspired my return to school in 2012, mm -hmm. the study of all things, sleep technology. Cause so I was really fascinated. The journalist in me, the science person in me really wanted to explore that. And I also felt like as a journalist, if I wanted to go back and be more of a writer and less of an editor, journalism had fractured so much at that point that I really think I really felt like the best way to get a freelance gig through, you know, that way was to have more credentials. And so I signed up for the sleep technology polysomnography program. It was like a fast track, really intense program. So I could get those medical credentials. And I felt like that was useful. And it, and it in truth was, I'm really so glad I did that. That's a great and way so, to research too. Yeah. Right. I mean, and it's interesting. It really is interesting to have the experience from a health as a healthcare provider, as well as mm -hmm. a patient in the same yeah. And that just opens up. It's kind of the same as when you're a writer and you're also an editor and a publisher at the same time. There's just different windows and doors that open and you just have a much fuller understanding of the, the holistic realm that you're walking inside. It's, it's pretty amazing. So, and so then I was in school and then I had the weird, you know, can't read situation. <laughs> yeah. And I was finally diagnosed literally within a couple of weeks of finishing my, my sleep technology program. So the first day of my first job was the day that I started my medication and, you know, medications mm -hmm. for MS with lots of side effects. And I was just so scared. I was thinking, oh my God, I'm going to grow a third arm, you know, while I'm on the ship, because I just didn't know, you know, what to expect. And it was very anxiety ridden. So I, I worked in the lab for two years and I also incidentally earned a second medical credential in sleep education for the, for patients, patient sleep education. And then I had to finally stop because, you know, your circadian rhythms don't play well with MS. It, you know, if you mess with your mm. circadian rhythms, you're going to be messing with your brain basically. Yeah. And I just was like, I just can't do this. And so, so I began to seek out those science writing gigs as a journalist in, in, mm -hmm. in, in earnest and ended up writing a bunch of blogs for different kinds of doctors, not only sleep doctors, but other kinds of doctors. I worked for the American Sleep Apnea Association for quite a while. That's great. And I, and I still write for the American Association of Sleep Technologists. I actually write learning modules for them that go every other month and they can get their education credits and things like that. So that's wow. kind of fun and challenging, really challenging. Yeah. And then I yeah. also started writing this like personal blog about living with MS, just, mm -hmm. you know, a place, an outlet, as you yeah. described earlier. And then a friend of mine who I didn't know at the time, her name's Laura Kolakowski. She's this amazing MS lobbyist. She, she works in DC and other places to help advocate for our community. She found my blog and she asked me to contribute 
some creative writing mm-hmm. to a couple of anthologies that were focused on writing about life with MS. And so mm-hmm. I did that and that was a great experience. And I found my people in there. And mm-hmm. then she additionally introduced me to another couple of um, opportunities to write columns for some patient advocate um, organizations. And so I'm still doing that now. And even when I write this nonfiction work as a columnist or as, as an educator, I it always comes back to cap- capturing that story. So yeah. like even if I'm looking at a research study and breaking it down for other people in my field, I'm always asking, what is the story behind this research study? And and for me, that is how you make everything relatable because everybody yeah. relates the story. And it's all it. So it's interesting. You can take the science background and then this creative writing background and you can still merge them and make it work. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And so meanwhile, at the same time, I started writing Intention Tremor, my book, Intention Tremor. It was in poems and prose and little pieces on napkins and, you know, sketches here and there, diaries, whatever, partly to write as a a form of therapy or healing or to understand for myself, but also because I, I don't really write just for myself. I really want to write for others. It's just, it's never really occurred to me just to write for myself yeah. or only need to read. I really write because I want, I have some things to say and I want other people to read them. And so intention tremor was born of that process of, you know, capturing all of these different aspects of encountering a new diagnosis and how do you go forward from that there you know you can ask your doctors all all you want about therapies and how to treat symptoms and that kind of thing but they're Mm -hmm. not really going to tell you how to live your day-to-day life with ms yeah and so we need those kinds of books right you know absolutely they're great there's a there is a um, there's a Indian proverb that I think I remember Steve Sable who late Steve Steve Sable he was the he and his father Ed were the founders of NFL Films but they what was it I'm trying to remember what the what the quote is I think it's like tell tell me the facts and I'll learn tell me the truth and I'll believe tell me a story and it will stay with me the rest of my life oh my gosh I love that yeah I love that <laughs> yeah and that's I mean that's what that's what we do here. You know, like That's we are what we do, you know, that, that is, you know, that is our responsibility. That is our purpose. You know, like we are storytellers in any yeah. way, in whatever format, you know, like we can, you know, like we get these stories out here. So, right. so, and you're also what I'm you know, like really also fascinated with, you're not only getting your own story, you're not only getting your own experiences and showing how you're coping with everything, but you're also getting other people's stories in shape oh, yeah. with editing, with publishing. Tell us yeah. about those, those venues. Oh, you know, I, I love, oh, I love writing my patient columns. I love my peer group who does this with me. The company that I work for primarily now is health union and they have a wide range of chronic illness communities and they have patient advocates and columnists who write their own personal journeys and we tackle all kinds of stuff. It could be really scientific stuff. It could be very personal, personal stuff. And we're all just invited to just write whatever it is, whatever it is that we are compelled to write, mm-hmm. which is amazing, right? I mean, how many places can you just decide what you're going to write about and write it and they will put it out there in the world? I mean, yeah. usually you're writing on assignment and it's on someone else's criteria and then they're going to edit it down and turn it into something else, you know? But Mm -hmm. here we can really just tell our stories. And I have found so many of of my peers, again, I call them my people or my tribe. I mean, without Mm -hmm. them, I I would be very, very lonely. But also I feel like 
reading their work and then having hearing from them when they read my work is just, it's not about, it's not so much of a cheerleading thing. It's more like, yeah, thank you for saying that. Cause I've been meaning to talk about that. Or, you know, yeah. there's just this, this camaraderie, if you can say that about oh, yeah. sharing chronic illness. I mean, there's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of grumbling and anger. There's a lot of, but we can share that. We don't feel like we have to shut it down to make everybody else comfortable. Mm-hmm. Because it's not our goal. Our our goal as as writers talking about chronic illness is not to make the healthy people feel comfortable. It's to tell our truth. And if you can't ha- handle that truth, well, that's not on us. I feel very strongly that good health is temporary anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all going to face it either as as we age, or we might get in a car accident, or we might have a temporary, you know, bad, bad case of pneumonia that puts us in the hospital for three months or something, all of those things, or we might have a mental illness, depression, anxiety, um, autism. That's not Mm. a, that's not a mental illness, but you know, something invisible, do you know what I mean? And so there isn't a single human being on the planet that gets up and is healthy their whole life and then dies in their sleep. That doesn't happen. Most mm-hmm. of us die kind of over a course of years <laughs> and there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. There's also a lot of great moments if you know how to look for them and how to you know, maneuver your way around the obstacles that your health condition will throw in your path. I mean, right. and so that's what we do as chronic illness writers is we're kind of putting together sort of this collective guidebook for how to help you through those journeys. And so even if you don't have MS, you could read my book and see perspective that you don't understand if you're currently healthy, Mm -hmm. but you could also see what kinds of obstacles might be in your path that could include things like the healthcare system itself Mm -hmm. or social attitudes and stereotypes about chronic illness people, you know, for instance, this idea that somehow having MS is this life sentence, you're going to be, you know, thrown in a wheelchair. I have friends in wheelchairs who have MS and they're still living their best lives, Mm -hmm. you know, and in some ways I think their lives are more realized than people I know who are healthy. So, well, yeah, because they can see, they can see the, they can see what's there. They can see what is, what lies ahead for them. And so they are, they have, just made that decision to live every moment to the fullest. That's really what my my cousin my cousin went through. That my cousin passed away uh, a week before his twenty fifth birthday, and he was he was diagnosed with Wilms tumor when he was two years old. Went through went through the cancer treatment and everything. The chemo really kind of stunted his growth, so he he never really hit five feet. But at the same time, he made a point to just go out and be like everything that he ever wanted to be. So he wanted to, you know, become an altar boy. He did that. He wanted to be a boy scout. He went all the way to Eagle. He made Eagle. Right on. Yeah. He, <laughs> I then love he, it. he wanted to be a volunteer firefighter. He did that. And then he wanted up becoming an EMT. And you know, like Amazing. took part in he took part in in um, keeping people safe over on Jersey during 9-11. Oh and, wow. Wow. Yeah. And just, you know, just went through everything. And then, yep. you know, like, like 2004, so, you know, 2003 or something like that, you know, that's when he met his girlfriend. And then in Good. 2005, they got, you know, like they wound up getting engaged. And yeah, I mean, like, but obviously they never saw that through to fruition because he passed away in 2005. No, um, so and it sorry. was dealing with, you know, dealing with kidney, you know, he had okay. been dealing with kidney issues through all yeah. of his life and finally got that successful transplant. And mm. the medication that he got 
created like a one in a million side effect that stopped his heart. Oh. Oh, and it was no. just like, yeah, like, I mean, having to go through all that and then finally seeing a way out and then mm-hmm. that happening. But at the same time, what he lived, it's what I, you know, I referred to it as uh, you, you're a fan of William Goldman, I, I would assume. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So, you know how the Princess Bride was a bridge. Right. Because yeah. he was always like he was always interrupting his father that when they would jump ahead and tell the 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 tell all the parts with the boring parts taken out. And right. so, so I I made a point to say in at the end of one of my books, since I dedicated it to him, it was basically saying that he lived an abridged life. He yeah. lived life with all the boring parts taken out. And that's awesome. That's and so we, true. Yeah. That's 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 it in a nutshell. We should all be doing that whether we have illness or not. Right. Right. And too many and too many of us just you know take this, take so much of what we got for granted. And mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things where it's just like everyone is just like, oh, I wish I, you know, like, I wish I had done this. I wish I'd done that. And the one thing that they always regret is the risks that they don't take. And oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, like having, having that, you know, like having gone through that and seeing how he took everything, mm-hmm. I I can't help but, you know, just seeing like when, when momentum starts building, you gotta chase it. You have to go after it. And yeah. It sounds oh, like yeah. a lot of what what you've done here is doing that. So I think that's Absolutely. terrific. Oh, yeah. for, for real. I mean, every day, I, I have to say right now that I have these more invisible, you know, symptoms. They still can be impaired. I can be impaired by them. I mean, the fatigue is a big one. Yeah. Visual problems. Sometimes I'll have speech issues, stomach problems. There are certain things, pain. There's a certain kind of weird um, muscle spasm called, ironically, the MS hug, in which the muscles around your rib cage like really like turn to rock, and uh-huh. that includes even your diaphragm. So it's really hard to breathe, and it's extreme. It's like a giant Charlie horse on steroids that just wraps around your your oh. midsection. It's God, terrible. I, I just had one the other night. Imagine and that happening. Like, oh. yeah, it sucks. And I get them and they, they kind of come and go. And I've kind of figured out how to just power through them, not power through because you can't power through, but how to just get through them. Some people yeah. have them and they never stop. So, I mean, mad respect to them for having to deal with that because I, mm-hmm. it's really hard. When I just, the longest one I had was probably about 12 hours long. And that was like, Ugh, it was oh man yeah so i mean hours. that's probably the worst thing i have but it doesn't happen a lot and i'm keeping my fingers crossed it never gets worse <laughs> yeah yeah but, but but because of that that's exactly what you were just saying so what you do is you sit down and you say today is a good day i do a physical check-in every day because i also have other things like arthritis and other pain issues I wake up mm-hmm. and kind of check in with my body, see where it's at, how, where's my head at, say, okay. And I have a list of things to do and I'm going to check off as many as I can while I'm doing it because you never, tomorrow's not promised. You don't know if you're going to wake up and you're not going to mm-hmm. be able to see, or I've had, you know, weird vertigo where I'm kind of sideways. I have a poem about that where you're just kind of like living on the diagonal and you can't see straight. How do you, how do you manage that? Well, you find a way mm-hmm. to me, there's really no other option. You just, you just do, you just do whatever you can. The Like my grandmother always used to say, I have to give her a little bit of credit here because <laughs> I grew up with her and she came of age and grew up through the depression. And it was, you make the best of what you have. And so that's literally how I live my life. And in terms of, you know, how I'm feeling, what are, what are my energy stores? What is my focus like today? And what, what do I have the capacity to do? And sometimes it's just the little crappy mindless things. Sometimes it's just doing the laundry. 
Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm just watching TV all day because I just and, and sometimes I can't even do that. It's just like too much ADD kind of weird sensory overload, you know, so I just check in and I have this long list that I never really get to the bottom of, but I just <laughs> do what I can and it all yeah. gets done eventually. And I, I'm not someone who is comfortable with the idea, like you mentioned, of living with regret. You just yeah. do what you can while you can. And I mean, like your your cousin, right? He yeah. He he describes so many people I know who are just resilient and strong mm-hmm. and they're focused and they're forward thinking and they're just saying, okay, so this is my this is my journey. How yeah. can I make lemonade out of lemons? That, mm-hmm. That's basically what it comes down to. So absolutely. Absolutely. And so the editing you were saying you were you would put together, you were working on as for like multiple projects that were part of one volume that I said that I is that correct? Or is oh, there for margin for the, the no, magazine? For, oh, yeah. For, oh, yeah. So, so that's what you were the editor of, correct? Like that's what yes, you were. I, I was a publisher and editor of margin. Yeah. yeah. And actually, um, more recently, I did publish a, a two year quarterly called vitamin Z and it's just creative writing about sleep. <laughs> oh, that's great. Which is super fun. And that, I, that I really fun. love yeah, those. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. It, yeah. So, so do people, do people submit those articles to you or something or do they? Yeah. Just okay, like how, any other kind of a magazine. Yeah. You have guidelines and they go in, I'm not publishing now. So don't send me anything because I'm not doing anything right now. It was a temporary, it was a gotcha. two year, uh, you know, project and it was a lot of fun, but yeah, they would send me work and I would, you know, go through the process of accepting, rejecting, working with the authors, producing it and putting it out. It was on issue format. So it's electronic format, but gotcha. um, so much fun though to work with other writers too and mm-hmm. and my ms people are my or my chronic illness friends are one tribe but then my writers are the other tribe like or mm-hmm. i wouldn't say just writers but my creative people without the them and yeah. i know you know what i mean without oh, them yeah. where would we be without our our peers in our own field and oh yeah yeah so, I, they're I, a I, second family I would just keep on talking to my wife, you know, like about writing over and over and over again. And at some point she's going to crack. So Yes, I hear that. I hear that. I, I'm fortunately married to a musician. So there are some oh, conversations that we can have that, and he's in jazz too. So yeah. there's, there's that kind of uh, improvisational, non-traditional kind of approach. So we can have conversations that are very timed, you know, tied into both of our interests too. So, oh, yeah. and, and also the fact that he needs time to work and I need time to work, you know, separate and thankfully and, and, and thankfully she's a photographer as well so she's oh, she has she has her passions and she's incredible at them so great. it's so it's it's great to to see that it's great when i'm able to help out you know like on different things whether it's photography or diy projects around the house or whatever yeah. you know like it's you know it's it's great to be able to help her with that creative outlet that she has because she is yeah. always coming up with something that will improve this house in some way and, mm-hmm. and it may yeah. and, and, and at times like it may seem like oh here we go again but you know like but there's always a reason behind it and yes. every yeah. everything that she that's been done has improved has improved the, the house like tenfold Yay. oh so, good yeah. yeah. And, you know, like we're, we're finishing up, but we're finishing up a, I want to say it's been two months, I would say since, since we started the kitchen, remodeling the kitchen. Oh, good. How fun. Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, it's hard, but <laughs> hard, but at the same time, like it's worth it because oh. yeah, it's coming together really, really nicely. I'm yeah. thrilled with how, with how it's turned out and, and it's creative. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, she's she's got like so much creative juices going through this. She was able to take all of the cabinets that were hanging and turn them into our island. Like it was. Nice. Yeah. Like, awesome. I wouldn't have thought that. That's you know, great. I'm, you know, That's I'm, problem solving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she's a master right. at that. So you know, it's 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 great watching her work, and and yeah. it's it's great to see her enthusiasm for this show when something when something big happens. So you know, and I have to say, George, you have children, and they 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 see that, and they're going to benefit. You don't even realize. My kids are now in their twenties. Yeah, and one of them is graduating in two weeks with a degree in dance. Okay. That's fabulous. And, and in education and, yep. and community organizing. And the other one is an extremely creative person too. She makes jewelry. She's doing some DJ work and, mm-hmm. you know, she's got all kinds of other little creative outlets herself. Yeah. Your kids pick up on all that and they see that it's okay. It's not even, not even just okay to be creative, yeah. but it's really important in order to be a whole person. So mm-hmm. kudos to you and your wife for showing living your values in front of your children it's gonna pay yeah. off good job yeah and we, you know, we have we have one daughter she's only three right now but yeah she is oh, you yeah. know she's already like you know dancing around around the house you know like with different different pieces of music and good. just it's it's great watching that little creative mind and just oh, coming yeah. together and she is she's been she's got this whole big box of these wooden blocks, very simple wooden blocks. She's got her own Legos. She's got the Duplos. But, you know, like, but she's just working with these just plain old wooden blocks, you know, different colors awesome. and different yeah. shapes and everything. And she comes up with some of the most amazing architecture. Awesome. I always have to take a picture of it. Like, it's yeah. so good. Good and, for you. And she needs to see that. That's just like me when I was four and my parents mm-hmm. seeing me writing on that chalkboard. Yeah. There's something so important about getting that like thumbs up from your parents for just being who you are. And that's what you're doing. So good job. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Thank you very much. So so to so to wrap up the the everything that's been going on. Yeah. How did how did the process of putting together this book of poetry? How did that how did that work? How, how, oh, as you were putting that, it together? That has its own Excelsior journey. <laughs> so it started. It's funny. It started out. I, I do well when I apply a form to whatever I'm doing because yeah. I have. I'm one of these people who doesn't have writer's block. I have the opposite. I have like too many ideas and no way to rein them in. So mm. I always throw a form in there and I just try to apply that, and it usually works for me. Yeah. And so in this case, I decided, well, how am I going to do this? And so I chose the abecedarian form, and that's a form in which each piece in the in the collection is a subsequent letter titled with the subsequent letter of the alphabet. So the first poem has a title that starts with A. The second poem has a title that starts with B and so forth all the way to Z. And I got to about 21 of the 26 letters and I'd written all poems. Oh. And I felt like something was wrong. <laughs> I'd even gotten <laughs> something to was Z. wrong. <laughs> something was wrong because it didn't seem honest because I'm a prose writer. Mm-hmm. Like by, you know, from the very beginning. Yeah. And I yeah. just felt like there needs to be some of my creative prose in here because otherwise it didn't seem very honest. Right. And I mean, this is, and with it being such a personal collection of my personal story, I really wanted the form to match me and the fact that I'm a cross form, cross genre writer. I write all over the map. So why, why just boil it down to one thing? And of course that makes it hard because now I'm not just a poet. I, you know, I have this hybrid thing and people don't yeah. know what to do with that, but whatever, They'll it, it worked out. So, 
And so I rewrote some of my pieces into more prosaic forms, like a prose poems or even like these fragmented kind of essays. Mm-hmm. And then I changed even some of the poems from more of a free verse to a more formalized verse. Like I used a blitz form and I used some blackout poems and I did some erasure poems and, and, and suddenly it just fell into place. And then I took it out of that abecedarian format. I just decided the order of the poems was more important than the letters of the alphabet. And so <laughs> I did a little bit of switching around and I hunted down, you know, through lines and, and repeating images and symbols and used that to kind of it all together and then it worked it felt right it felt authentic this was this personal journey that really represented not only my story but me as a writer mm-hmm. and then about a year ago the publisher at Moonpath press lana ayers decided to publish it and That's i had nice. a couple of poems in there i had to adjust though because they were the poems what are they called concrete poems where the the lines take on literally the physical shape of something. And one of them was uh, the shape of the two hemispheres of the brain. And so I had, but it was too big to actually put on the printed page, but it was so beautiful. And I had actually blacked out areas where the lesions are on my brain. So it was really Mm. a a rendering of my brain on the page in words. Wow. (laughs) And it, yeah. And it was just like this thing. and I really love it. And so I kept the original and I'm probably going to make that into a broadside to put Mm -hmm. on my wall because it's, I just am really excited. And there's an artist's community not far from here where they have some printing options. So I might go in and make a broadside there, like a handmade broadside, because it was just such a cool thing. And I derive so much joy from just creating that. But anyway, so I, I adjusted that to more of a, you know, a free verse poem. And then, so last summer and through the fall, it was all, all about the production. And then it came out starting January, I started promoting it. And, you know, a lot of not very much fun <laughs> during a pandemic <laughs> when there are no bookstores or live events, but I've been able to, you know, sell some books and I've don't have done a ton of virtual, you know, readings and events. They're all at my website with, when there are link, links to that. And I've gotten some reviews, got some really lovely reviews. I'm really just, you know, humbled by, and it's just been really an interesting journey, especially it would have been interesting anyway, but the pandemic threw in, you know, a yeah. huge, a huge wrench. But I do want to add that 100% of the of my take from the sales of these books goes to the Accelerated Cure Project, which is an MS nonprofit that is there to help scientists to accelerate the processing of their data from their research studies. And we are really going to need them when they can get back into action, the, the MS researchers, because all of research, of course, and for good reason, has gone straight into COVID-19. Yeah, um, And so, you know, resources, patient subjects, materials, staff, you know, labs, all of that is all COVID right now. So MS researchers, when they can actually jump back in there, they're, we really need them to speed up because the MS is still getting diagnosed, whether there's a pandemic or not. I mean, there's right. like 200, 200 people a week in the United States are diagnosed with MS. It just keeps going. And for some, it's a timing issue because it can progress. I'm luckily not not someone with a progressive form of the illness, but there are those who do have it and it just gets worse and worse. So time is of the issue and we need to help those people, especially to keep them from getting worse and maybe helping to reverse their disease if possible. So so all my money that I'm earning is going straight to them. So I'm hoping to write a check to them at the end of the month. <laughs> Excellent. And you said it's the Accelerated Care Project. Is that what it's called? Yes, it's acceleratedcure.org if you want to check it out. 
acceleratingcare.org. You guys Here, are going to yeah. see that in the notes at the bottom of this at the bottom of this episode description. So be Perfect. sure to give, be sure to give to that. And uh, and where can they pick up the book itself? Okay, you can go. It's really easy. Intentiontremorbook.com. That's a direct link to the page where you can you can buy it directly from me and I, I can give you a signed copy. You can also buy it through indie indiebound, you know, booksellers, mm-hmm. bookshop, and you can of course buy it at Amazon. I would say buy it from me though, because the I'll actually be able to give more money to the Accelerated Cure Project. There you go. Directly from there me. And that's that's what and it's all a, about, right? And then and you, you get, get a signed copy. copy. You get yeah. a signed copy too. That's great. Uh, right. And so, and it's called one more time with the title Intention Tremor Book.com. Intention Tremor. That's the name name of the of the book itself. Yeah. And Intention Tremor Book.com. That's perfect. Again, you guys definitely click on that. And where can, where can our listeners find you on social media? Oh, I'm. I mean, because you, you found me outside of social media. You found I did. Me, uh, yeah. I'm always looking. <laughs> and I love podcasts. So. Appreciated. Oh yeah. Um, you can find me in Twitter. You can find me in Facebook. You can find me in LinkedIn, and you can find me in Instagram. I think Tamara Selman, T A M A R A S E L L M A N, is the name for my Instagram account. I think it's Selman Writer is in Twitter. And then mm-hmm. I have a Facebook uh, page in, you know, a page itself, an author's page. And then I just have my, I think it's TK Selman. I can't remember, but in LinkedIn, just look up Tamara Selman, you'll find me. Excellent. Excellent. I hope that all of you who have been dealing with your own afflictions know that there is a way for you to cope with it. It is, it is through the wonders of creativity. It is an amazing, amazing fuel that, you, that mm-hmm. will get you through these really, really hard times. I hope mm-hmm. all of you have the have the, dri- the same drive as Tamara did to get it out there to not only help yourself cope, but to hopefully make others cope as well. And as we said before, the one thing that we always regret in life is the risks that we don't take. So if you have something that is burning inside you, by all means, get it out. Do not sit on it. Do not wait. You're going to regret it. And for Tamara Selman, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today.